You're listening to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Leah Walton. And I'm Stephanie Shaw. Thank you for joining us as we talk with the people and learn more about the work being done here at NTSB. Welcome to episode 37 of Behind the Scene at NTSB. Leah and I are excited to welcome back to the podcast board member Tom Chapman, Ivan Chung, who is board member Chapman's special assistant, and Raphael Marshall, a senior highway investigator in the Office of Highway Safety. Welcome, gentlemen. We're so happy to have you back. Thank you. Hey, thanks. Thanks. And this is, I think, the first podcast where we've had all of our guests that are returnees. Um, So that's pretty exciting. Um, We will go ahead and just have an opportunity for you all to reintroduce yourself in a moment. But uh, I am super excited today because we are talking about one of my favorite topics, pedestrian safety, and talking about some of the work that the NTSB has done. And we are doing that because October is Pedestrian Safety Month, National Pedestrian Safety Month. But before we get into that, and you can hear me get all excited about pedestrian safety stuff, (laughs) let's (laughs) reintroduce our, our guests. So. So, Member Chapman, we first had you on the podcast where you gave us your full background on episode 32, but can you please give us a brief reintroduction about yourself and how you arrived at the NTSB? Sure. Well, first of all, hello, and thank you for the opportunity today. Uh, I um, am a longtime uh, aviation guy. Uh, almost all of my background is in aviation. I worked for uh, essentially 30 years in industry, um, working for both general aviation interests and for airline interests. And then the last uh, six years prior to coming to NTSB, I was Democratic counsel to the uh, Senate Aviation Subcommittee and had an opportunity to uh, essentially give back a little bit through public service. And I see NTSB as a great opportunity to continue that mission, which I think is very important. Great. Great. Thanks. Uh, Ivan, you joined us back in episode five, way back in 2017, about our speeding safety study. But can you please share a brief reminder of your background and how you arrived at the NTSB? Sure. I'm officially the old timer, right? Episode five was pretty early. <laughs> and uh, before, before I came to NTSB, um, I was working as a research scientist at the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. So I have a little bit of a transportation traffic safety background before coming to NTSB about 10 years ago now. Uh, my academic background is actually in geography. My PhD in geography, I studied climatology. So I think one of the things that you heard in episode five is my winding world, how I ended <laughs> up working for the government. So uh, interestingly, I find uh, pedestrian safety very relevant to the field in geography because you probably hear that a lot of uh, urban planning is actually involved in terms of making sure that pedestrians' environments are safe. So I'm pretty excited about this. And you mentioned speeding study, and you probably heard that speed is critical in pedestrian safety. So I'm really glad that you guys invited me back to talk about pedestrian safety. Thank you. Thanks, Ivan. And uh, Raphael, you joined us back in episode 21 in 2018 to discuss the impaired driving crash that occurred in Concan, Texas. Um, But again, can you please share a brief reminder to our listeners of your background and how you arrived at the NTSB? Uh, Hi, Stephanie and Leah. It's it's good to be back. Um, Well, I I joined the NTSB 21 years ago. Um, and prior to that, I was a research assistant at George Mason University. I was working on my doctorate degree and I was working, uh, actually at the Federal Highway Administration as a research assistant there doing my own studies on intelligent transportation systems. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's it for me. Fantastic. Um, Well, again, thank you all for joining us again. I'm really, really excited about this uh, conversation today. If you would have asked me when I was um, graduating high school, if I would ever be super excited to talk about pedestrian safety, I would have told you that you were crazy. But here we are today. (laughs) Leah, before we jump in, I know that uh, Ivan has been has been joking with us about wanting to turn the tables and and make you a guest. So can you just tell us a little bit about your background before you came to NTSB? so we can learn where your love of pedestrian safety came from. <laughs> sure, sure, I will do that. Um, I got my um, 
my experience and my background in pedestrian safety working for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration for 10 years. Um, I had previously worked for Mothers Against Drunk Driving on impaired driving issues, but when I got my job at NHTSA, they had a program management position open for pedestrian safety and school bus safety, and I was at a point in my career where I wanted to expand my highway safety knowledge, and so I went for it, and boy, did I have a lot to learn. Um, going from, you know, impaired driving to pedestrian safety it was a huge switch, um, but uh, I learned a lot. Um, I was was in the program development side, so I have I did not have any engineering background. I do not claim to have any um, detailed engineering knowledge. I rely on I relied on Federal Highway Administration to do that for me. But um, I I learned very quickly that um, you know pedestrian safety. A lot of people don't really recognize or acknowledge necessarily that every single person is a pedestrian at some point in their day, and even though it is a uh, less thought about mode, if you will, it's sure. how we all learned to get around in the first place. You know, it was our first mode of transportation. Um, so I, you know, I have a um, a love for the pedestrian safety programs and topic. And I'm just really excited for this conversation today. Good. <laughs> so like I, um, like I mentioned, and it might be uh, stating the obvious, but um, everyone is a pedestrian. Uh, however, our roadways, they're not always designed with pedestrian safety as a priority. I think that it's improving. It's improved over the last probably 10 years, but for a long time, um, engineers and planners, they were really prioritized um, to efficiently they're pro prioritizing their designing to efficiently move vehicles. Um, this year, NHTSA, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, made a major declaration in designating October as National Pedestrian Safety Month. Um, and that has the goal of increasing awareness about pedestrian safety and reminding drivers and walkers that staying safe is a shared responsibility. So to get us started, Member Chapman, what is the importance of NHTSA and the USDOT designating October to promote pedestrian safety. Well, thank you, Leanne. Actually, I was very interested in, in your story because it's, it's not unlike my own as I was, frankly, doing some homework preparing, uh, knowing that I was going to come to the NTSB. I wanted to, uh, to, to learn a little bit more about some of the other modes of transportation that I, I, I was less familiar with. And uh, one of the things that stood out to me frankly, is pedestrian safety, pedestrian fatalities. Mm -hmm. uh, I, um, we did a little bit of um, checking before we, uh, uh, before we sat down today, and we, we, we got some of the, the most recent numbers. Uh, NHTSA uh, reports that for 2018, there were 6,283 pedestrian deaths, 60, virtually 6,300 deaths mm -hmm. in 19... Uh, in 2018 from, uh, from pedestrian uh, fatalities, 2009, 4,100 pedestrian deaths. So mm -hmm. the number is up dramatically. I mean, 4,000 is, is shocking in itself, but that was 2009. So in, in the span of, of, the, uh, of the nine years from 2009 to 2018, that number has gone up dramatically. Um, in 2009, uh, pedestrian fatalities were approximately 12% of the total number of traffic fatalities, which, by the way, is a, a shocking number, roughly 37,000, 37,000 fatalities a year on the highways. But in 2009, that number was uh, about 12% in terms of pedestrian fatalities. In 2018, it was 17%. Pedestrian yeah. fatalities were 17% of total traffic fatalities. And keep in mind that the number of traffic fatalities has also increased. So the fact that it's gone from 12% to 17%, it's actually a bigger increase than just the 5% that superficially it appears to be. Sure. It's actually mm -hmm. greater than that because the, the total universe is, is larger. So I was, I was frankly shocked by this. I mean, we, we all take, uh, we all take walking uh, for granted. It's, as mm -hmm. you said, it's the most basic form of transportation. I think because it's so basic and so natural to all of us, I think we assume that it's the safest way to get around. And 
it should be the safest way to get around. Mm -hmm. But uh, these are stunning numbers, uh, and, and it's it's even worse uh, than that because it's more than just fatalities. CDC uh, estimates that uh, approximately 170,000 pedestrians uh, went to the emergency room in 2018 because mm -hmm. of injuries suffered uh, uh, while walking, for goodness sake. So the fact that DOT and NHTSA are focusing on this uh, is very important. They have an opportunity here as the agencies with lead responsibility for uh, transportation safety, highway safety, to be drawing attention to the trend here. And they can work with state and local agencies and a lot of the burden falls on state and local agencies here. Mm -hmm. uh, they can work with state and local agencies to, first of all, draw attention to the trend and to help implement some of the, uh, the, 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 the proven safety uh, tools that are, uh, that are available now and to do the work, continue the work to develop additional tools. And there is some very encouraging work, as, as Ivan and Raphael will help, help us understand today. Yeah, and just as a follow along to that, when NHTSA and the USDOT had their um, announcement of Pedestrian Safety Month, um, they did share some uh, really valuable resources that are available on their website. Um, and as uh, our listeners may or may not know, any uh, any government resources are available for free uh, to take and use in their own community. So um, that's that's something that uh, our listeners might be curious about. But it also uh, had a few state and local um jurisdictions that were sharing some of the activities that they were planning on on implementing in the month of October to really kind of uh, emphasize and remind their uh, their constituents of pedestrian safety. So it's really exciting. And I'm I'm looking forward to hearing all about the different uh, activities that are going around the country um, and and just kind of hearing and learning from what people get from this experience. Um, Member Chapman, do you have any particular incident or, or um, situation where you, uh, you got your interest in pedestrian safety, or has it been just kind of a general interest you've had over time? Do you have any kind of story or background on that? Well, it comes in large part actually from being a parent. My wife mm -hmm. and I were late parents. Um, we have a son who's now 18. But we live in Bethesda, Maryland. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a very urban type area. We enjoy that about it. We have lots of restaurants, lots of shops. Uh, we will often park our car on the weekend. And, and certainly these days when we're all quarantining, we do a lot of walking in the neighborhood. We've always enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. uh, we have always been, frankly, uh, real sticklers in terms of following pedestrian rules, uh, trying to set a good example for our son. Um, both when he was younger and even today as, as, as a teenager. And, and so I've, I, I began to really focus on it because of the neighborhood in which we live, the concerns I had as a parent for ensuring that our son, who now is out and about in the neighborhood on his own mm -hmm. regularly, knowing that he would be doing the right things and that he would be safe. And I think that involves both an awareness of your own behavior but an awareness of the risks around you. I think we under, underestimate the risks that are around us when we are walking, particularly in areas where there's heavy traffic, where there's urban, uh, urban environment. And so a lot of it came from the fact that we do live in an urban area where we do a lot of walking. And then, of course, uh, the, the responsibility I think all of us feel as parents to ensure that our children are safe. Absolutely. Sure. And Member Chapman, I, as I was looking at the fatality numbers and some of the recent data, too, um, I think that's an important point because children, unfortunately, are significantly represented in that fatality number that you that you mentioned. So, you know, we do have a huge responsibility as parents to ensure that our children know how to be safe walkers as well. Absolutely. Um, Ivan, so when we when we started looking at pedestrian safety again in 2016, it had actually been since... 1970, I think, since the, the NTSB had actually looked at pedestrian um, safety issues. In 2016, we held a public forum to um, to kind of get the conversation really going around um, pedestrian safety. And then um, in 2018, issued our report. Can you just give us a little bit of background of what the agency to take on um, that project? Sure. Well, first of all, Dr. Deb Bruce, 
Um, she has since retired a couple of years ago. Um, this project is the Office of Highway Safety Project. And uh, as I explained to you, I'm always interested in pedestrian safety. So I sort of like elbow my, myself into the project. <laughs> and I put my help to Deb and, uh, you know, Dr. Malloyd and Dr. You know, Poland and say, hey, you know, I can offer some help, meaning that I really want to be part of this project. So sure. I wouldn't call myself part of the author, but I would call myself part of the, the working team okay. you know, for this particular project. So uh, in 2016, um, Deb Bruce actually had this idea on how to, how to put together this particular special investigative report, right? So she actually uh, put together a public forums that bring uh, subject matter experts from all over the country in different aspects that deal with pedestrian safety. And launching off from the lesson learned from that uh, forum, um, so she decided and the Office of Highway Safety decided, you know, it would be really, really beneficial if NTSB actually went out and looked at fatal crashes involving pedestrians. And I think Raphael will be able to give you more detail in terms of how that uh, comes about and how, it, how that was being done. My role at the time is mostly providing contextual data analysis to support mm -hmm. her reports. Okay. And also um, towards the towards the back end of the project, um, I helped develop an interactive tool that actually tells the story about pedestrian safety and how we can actually bring data explorations and the actual investigation together in in, in a place. And so that's kind of like you know how the project comes about and in a nutshell and how that's you know uh, come together towards the end. Sure. Raphael, since uh, Ivan <laughs> made a nice uh, introduction of the Office of Highway Safety's um, role in, in looking at the pedestrian safety issue, can you just talk to us about some of the investigations that you all um, conducted in, in support of um, the work that um, Deb had started? Well, I, I think what uh, Dr. Bruce wanted to do was uh, she wanted to um, have us do uh, 15 pedestrian crashes, crash investigations within a span of six months. And the reason she, elect, she selected 15 is because at the time in 2016, there were 15 pedestrians that died per day uh, due to traffic crashes. When, when we finished the report and we brought it to the board, that number has had risen to 16. And right now, 17 people per day, uh, die per day in pedestrian crashes. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of why this, um, pedestrian safety month is so important. Um, now to do 15 pedestrian crash investigations within six months is, is quite a lift for our office. We only have about 18 investigators and not, and we have other tasks we were doing, other sure. investigations we were, mm -hmm. we were conducting. Um, so to help us along, what we did was we, we met with uh, regional law enforcement agencies beforehand to inform them about our study, its goals, and our need for their cooperation. And most importantly, what we did was we asked them to alert us to any pedestrian crashes that occurred in, in their jurisdiction. Um, and what we also did was we to help us along to facilitate our investigations, we formed smaller teams of two investigators each um, who were ready to launch at a moment's notice. And at least one of those investigators had to be trained in accident reconstruction techniques. Um, sure. And just so you have an idea, usually our teams consist of six or more specialized investigators and technicians. Mm -hmm. so, um, so going down to two actually gave us a lot more flexibility uh, for launching. Um, and once we were told, uh, of a pedestrian crash, we really made a concerted effort to arrive on scene while the first responders were still there so we can interview them and see the crash scene for ourselves. And this is particularly important because of the amount of perishable evidence, um, in pedestrian yeah. crashes. Um, uh, there's just not as much evidence there as if you'd had two, cra two cars crash. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so although we, although we, uh, we focus our investigations around the DC metro area, because that's where most of the investigators are, um, because of our law enforcement connections in other states, we were able to launch investigators also to uh, places like Minnesota and Wisconsin, Connecticut, Maine, and, um, and New York City as well. And I'd like to express uh, my sincere gratitude uh, for the cooperation we received from these jurisdictions. With the, um, since prior to, prior to this special investigation report, we hadn't really done solely pedestrian uh, crash investigations. Um, how did you and your team need to adjust your investigation practices for these? Did you have a particular um, investigation protocol for pedestrians or did you kind of have to develop something as you or prior to um, this report? No, we, we actually did uh, create a protocol. Um, Dr. Bruce actually created one for us so that we were able to uh, uh, gather the information that she needed uh, to create the, the special investigation report. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that, uh, I was just going to go ahead, figure. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to, um, I was going to state, uh, I believe at, in, as an appendix to the report, the tool is included, um, for what was developed, correct? And that is again, accessible for any, um, any law enforcement agency that's curious to look into all the detailed information that we collected for our investigations. That's correct. Um, Member Chapman, regarding this study is uh, and this report, is there anything in particular that really stood out for you from this report or um, that surprised you? Uh, there are, and certainly I'd invite Ivan and Raphael to weigh in if there are things they, they want to highlight. But a couple of the things that, that's, that caught my eye, uh, pedestrian fatalities have gone up steadily essentially every year since 1990 mm -hmm. and the total increase since 1990 is is dramatic Ivan I think it's 53 percent or something like that it's it's a, it's a it's a staggering number of, of uh, in terms of the percentage increase uh, 75 percent of pedestrian deaths occur in non-intersection locations uh, maybe Ivan and mm -hmm. Raphael can talk a little bit more about why that is but I found that surprising since I guess I would assume, uh, without having looked into this more closely, that since where people are supposed to be crossing uh, is at intersections, that that might be where the majority of, of fatalities occur. Um, the, there's an increasing proportion of pedestrian deaths in the urban environment. Now, that makes sense on the one hand, because that's where the people are in the mm -hmm. urban environment. But by the same token, this is where people walk. This is where you would assume there's an awareness of pedestrians. Right. Um, there's an awareness of uh, appropriate uh, conduct behavior when you are a pedestrian yourself. Uh, and yet that doesn't seem to be the case in terms of, of, of how the, uh, uh, how the uh, accidents occur. Uh, and then the importance of speed, uh, which is a problem throughout in terms of highway fatalities but it's certainly a factor in terms of pedestrian fatalities. Mm -hmm. Ivan or Raphael, do you want to chime in on that? Yeah, definitely. I'm so glad that uh, Member Chapman picked up on the non-intersection versus intersection mm -hmm. comparison. And I think that's really surprising. And I think in a, in a way it's educational, right? You know, you would assume that where people cross is at an intersection area. The fact that, you know, 75% of pedestrian death actually occur outside of the, outside of the intersection area is really alarming. And that's actually point to the fact that we got to look at perhaps there just isn't enough facility for people to, for people to safely cross. Mm. You know, that, that could be a behavioral issue. That could be an infrastructure and, 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 and design issue, right? And uh, Member Chapman talked about the idea of urban environment, you know, it's true, you know, higher population density, more activity. There were people more taking transits, stepping off, they have to cross the road. There was all kind of uh, opportunity for a vulnerable road user like a pedestrian to interact with motor vehicle. But at the same time, it's also a historical thing in this particular country, you know, where the urban plannings are so dominated by the autocentric, 
you know, paradigm, right? Mm-hmm. So oftentimes the fact that there isn't enough pedestrian facility is probably because the urban land use designs is have historically been problematic. And you will see that, you know, there is actually uh, more and more emphasis on complete street, for example, that mm-hmm. bring the attention to proper design, longer term uh, developments. I uh, just want to add one surprising thing mm-hmm. is uh, from this particular uh, uh, research is that we actually know a lot about what works. The mm-hmm. problem is that we are not implementing them. And I think that's that's very important for the for people who are listening to understand why NTSB is doing this kind of research. Sometimes we are not doing groundbreaking research, but we are bringing attention to proof and countermeasure that should be implemented. And we try to understand what is what is stopping people from using it, and we bring it to their attention, push the organization, federal, state agency to implement them more effectively and i think that's that's an important thing that you know we want to we want to emphasize bravio i know i was just thinking about uh, an example of uh what you were talking about um in in my neighborhood uh near false church i think that's that used to be your neighborhood as well where there was a low-income housing on one side of the road and um you would cross route 50 which is a multi-lane highway to get to um a supermarket or a mall area and um, the intersections were probably a quarter mile either way or more um, mm-hmm. to you know for for pedestrians to get to work or to get to shopping centers and so what they would do is they would cross right in between and you know and and even though and, you know there were police enforcement in those areas sometimes people still did it because that was just they you know they didn't want to make the 15 minute trek to an intersection just okay. across the street. And so, you know, luckily in our area, they were finally eventually able to build a, a pedestrian overpass there. But it, it really does um, show that there are some, a, a lot of issues in the roadways we have today. And Raphael, just on that, um, having worked at NHTSA and worked with, um, you know, communities in all different states, that situation is not unique. It is happening all over the country um, where, you know, places and opportunities uh, to cross are not as accessible as people need them to be. And that's, again, it kind of lends itself to that um, that surprising thing that you saw, Member Chapman, that these, these crashes are not happening in intersections, um, you know, and it's. It's things that I think communities are really trying to uh, figure out how to solve just on a continuous basis because we continue seeing these types of crashes. And I think that's a, a great segue into Leah and Raphael and Ivan and Member Chapman. What um, what's, what solutions do you think are, I'll go with um, underused um, right now to really address some of the, the issues that, that you all found not only from our investigations, but just the research that you've done. I'll, I mean, I'll just uh, I'll just take a stab at it quickly. Um, one thing that I think is just really important is is just to get a, um, to get a really solid understanding of the problem. Um, and there are tools out there um, that have been developed not only um, by Federal Highway and NHTSA, but you know there are examples of communities that have developed uh, pedestrian safety action plans and um, crash analyses of those um, pedestrian crashes to really get a solid understanding because what we've learned over time is that there's no one-size-fits-all solution for pedestrian safety. Um, These, you know, different communities have different challenges that they're dealing with, and until you have a solid understanding of the problem, you're not going to be able to identify the right countermeasure. So I think always the first right step is to do one of these pedestrian safety action plans that includes the crash analysis and really takes a look at what's going on inside the community. For instance, if there's a hot spot of crashes on a map, you can see that, but until you really drill down and take a look at what is happening, is there, uh, you know, is it in a um, 
big uh, entertainment district that might have a lot of bars and these crashes are happening, you know, between the times of 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. That would be a good indicator that there are some, you know, impaired pedestrians potentially. There could be, you know, a need for higher enforcement um, or slower speeds in that area. You know, you, you need to really get the story of what's happening in those areas before you start putting down um, and implementing countermeasures. Sounds great, Leah. I think you should be, you, we really should have, you know, you as part of the team, you know, four years ago, four or five years ago. Um, I just want to like, you know, chimes in the fact that again, you know, I think, I think we already know, you know, what probably will work. And I, I want to emphasize the idea that it has to be comprehensive, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like Leah was saying that it's not one size fits all. But at the same time, and I use this kind of like cliche way of saying that it really takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. You talk about the whole three years, right? Three, that three year, the engineering, education and enforcement, the three big, big year. I would venture and say that I would like to see five years approach, you know, including, you know, engineering, education, enforcement. We also need to have evaluation. Mm-hmm. Like, right, what Leo is saying, utilizing GIS, mapping technology, the understand hotspot, you know, keeping track of where people walk. And that's a big thing that was missing for a long, long, long time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, trying to figure out VMT is a science and there are all kind of people have funding to do. Trying to figure out where people walk and how much people walk, believe it or not, is really, really behind. We don't, we don't know that. So evaluation is important making sure they have the right kind of data to understand where the problem is and also evaluate what countermeasure actually work. You know, you got to have that metric to, to do that. And then the last year would be emergency medical service, right? Yeah. You know, so unfortunately, when accident occur, how quickly can we get that to mitigate uh, the severity? So all five years should be, should be part of the thing. For each of those years, we already know infrastructure, Infrastructure design, infrastructure technology, you know, and things like that. Knowing speed and an issue, there are all kinds of a way to, to mitigate, you know, to, to manage speed, right? So yeah. go, going from, you know, in an urban dense environment, lowering speed, it will help, right? Mm-hmm. Speed camera will help and the effective way of uh, cutting down speeding. Um, things like uh, traffic calming. You know, uh, uh, infrastructure like road diet and all those things would help. The, the, the issue is that where do we get the willpower, you know, to actually implement, you know, those, uh, those, uh, uh countermeasure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Ivan, I know that, you know, as a traffic safety community and even transportation safety in general, everyone has adopted um, zero fatalities, zero injuries, zero crashes. And that as it relates to what you were just saying with pedestrian safety and, and what's kind of a new idea or becoming people are talking about it more because I don't think it's really new is the safe systems approach. And we know around the country, there's, there are some cities who are really doing some innovative things to address the pedestrian safety issue. Is there a particular city that you, that comes to mind where they might have implemented a countermeasure where you're like, this city is really doing it well and might be an example for somebody else that's looking um, to implement a strategy. Sure. I can, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll come, I'll, I'll come back to, to this particular topic and it sounded like, you know, member Chapman have something to add before, sure. before well, I, no, I, I just, I just wanted to, to, to add here. Uh, the countermeasures uh, are very important, and there's a lot that can be done there. But some of this too is it's a matter of awareness. This is why I think having having a, a month dedicated to this is is so important. There, awareness is important, and personal responsibility is important. And it's important not only when you yourself are a pedestrian, but when you are in your automobile and driving. And mm-hmm. it's some of the same issues, but from a from the diff, from a different side. It's issues like speed, being aware of speed as a, as, a, as a factor, both when you're walking, be aware of vehicles that are speeding, and when you're driving, keep your speed down, be careful. Issues like impairment, issues mm-hmm. like distraction. These are problems not only when you're in an automobile, but when you're walking down the street um, for you yourself and for uh, the people that are around you. And I, so I think a lot of this is it's it's practical stuff. It's awareness of problems, 
like impairment, like uh, distraction, like speed. And if we can, if we can all kind of take responsibility for addressing some of those issues in our own lives, I think the cumulative impact of that would 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 be very important. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that's actually fall right into the whole idea of safe system approach, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned, you know, uh, this has come from Europe, right? The Scandinavian countries started, you know, way back when, so many decades before, you know, the U.S. starting to adopt it. And I think you asked for some example, I would say definitely, you know, San Francisco, New York City, some of the some of the big city I actually in the last five years or so are slowly but realizing that you got to you got to take care of the vulnerable role user. Mm-hmm. And the way to deal with the vulnerable role user, as Member Chapman put it, you know, pretty pretty clearly, mm-hmm. yes, responsible, you know, you got to be a responsible walker as well, you know, but at the same time, there are also other parts of the system that all have to take responsibility, right? This, this start from, you know, policymaker, you know, urban, urban planner, designer, the engineer, all the way to vehicle designer, right? Uh, the, the, the vehicle engineer engineer, and things like that, they all have to, you know, put in their responsibility, be part of it. Um, the whole idea of safe system approach is that uh, it's very important for the walker to be responsible. I always have a pet peeve, you know, when you're driving around, I, I'm probably put words in your mouth right now. <laughs> when I'm driving around and I saw a pedestrian completely distracted, not paying attention, you know, and things like that, you know, I was cussing, you know, at the, <laughs> at the pedestrian. I was like, damn it, you know, we people from NTSB is working so hard to protect you and you are not even paying attention. Mm. You know, you got to be, you got to be part of the team, right? To, to, to make it work, right? But at the same time, we also, we also know that there is a, there is a physics here. Mm-hmm. I'm driving a motor vehicle, tons of steel. Yep. At a at a pretty good speed, and you have a vulnerable people. Yes, maybe that person should pay attention. So it's not a fair game, mm-hmm. right? So Wait. so therefore we got to we, we we got to factor that in that the vulnerable vulnerability of a person who is not enclosed by steel. Mm-hmm. So we sure. need to someone did make a mistake, should have paid attention, but did not pay attention. We got to be a little more forgiving and allowing the biomechanic to be to 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 be uh, to be taken into consideration, and that's why you know we we, we seems to be you know kind of biased toward protecting the vulnerable role user, but we also want the public to know, especially the driving public to know, there was a big discrepancy you know <laughs> of the of, of this equation. So I think yeah. I think it's important for us to to keep that in mind. And on that, Ivan, something that has always stood out to me, you know, you say that you're in a vehicle um, encased by steel traveling at a pretty good speed. I don't think that a lot of people realize uh, that you don't have to be going very fast to make some really significant damage to a pedestrian. Um, There's a chart that I believe... um, the University of North Carolina, um, Chapel Hill put out that demonstrates the survivability of a pedestrian at different vehicle speeds. And I believe it was something, and I'm sorry if I'm getting this, the exact numbers wrong, but around 25 to 35 miles per hour, 20 or 80% of pedestrians, uh, that get hit at that speed will survive. You get up to 40 miles per hour and only 20% of pedestrians will survive that. And 40 miles per hour as you're driving your vehicle doesn't feel very fast. Um, but, you know, to a pedestrian, it is majorly significant. And so, you know, I think that that's just, again, drives home that, you know, everyone, the driver, the pedestrian, you know, needs to be aware of what's going on around you and just make really smart decisions and be respectful of your uh fellow road users well and even yeah, even yeah. surviving surviving doesn't mean surviving without injury um, exactly sometimes the injuries are very serious it's not exactly. a fair fight it's not no. a fair fight so as a pedestrian don't put yourself in a position where you're going to have to take on a vehicle mm-hmm. and as a driver for goodness sake recognize that people are going to make mistakes they are going to do things that are that are going to compromise 
uh, their safety and, and be on your toes. Be be prepared to respond to that and uh, avoid the problem. Yeah, I think it's a really good point, especially considering, I mean, you know, Member Chapman, you had mentioned before in the space that we're in, there are a lot more pedestrians and bicyclists around. And Leah, you, you know, just talking about kind of those what you would assume, well, what you perceive as a driver as a right, a low speed, 30 mm-hmm. to 40 miles an hour. I mean, there's a lot of neighborhood streets that have a 30 mile an hour, 35 mile an hour speed limit. And right. when you mm-hmm. when you think about that and then the increased volume of people on the roads, um, it really just makes for a very dangerous situation. Um, that I think we do as as pedestrians and then even as drivers tend to maybe um, take for granted and overlook. Right. And we're going to continue to see those numbers increase in terms of people who are walking, people who are riding bicycles. We have other vehicles on the road now, these electric scooters, which that's a whole nother, whole nother <laughs> topic for another podcast. But they're they're out there. People are out there. We We want them to be out there. We want to encourage this. Uh, for environmental reasons, in terms of quality of life reasons in our neighborhoods. We want this, but uh, it brings risks with it, and we have to be very, very cautious. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this kind of segue into, you know, uh, I, I, traffic safety or, in fact, transportation safety in general is that part of it is to prevent a crash to occur, Right. Mm-hmm. And then the other part is when it did occur, unfortunately, it will, you know, how do we mitigate the severity, i.e., how can we potentially turn a fatal crashes into a severe injury crash, turn a severe injury, injury crash into a moderate or maybe minor injury crash, right? So the mitigating the, 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 the two components of the equation, right? Mm-hmm. We want both of them to go down. So I think that that's where you see the special investigative reports that we published in 2018, uh, the speeding report we published in 2017, and the bicycle report in 2019. Mm-hmm. All of them emphasize that, right? So you mm-hmm. have you already have vehicle technology, headlight technology improvement that can actually see allow the driver to see the pedestrians, you know, sooner, you have autonomous vehicle, or maybe not even autonomous vehicle, crash avoidant technology, mm-hmm. right? That would alert the driver or even break for you. And all those things could help reduce the possibility of getting into a crash with a pedestrians or any other vulnerable road user. The adaptations of those technology, you know, by you know, bringing up, you know, the awareness of all this life-saving technology and perhaps, you know, move on NCAP, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that to, 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 to promote that kind of technology. And I think, you know, in terms of vehicle technology, maybe, you know, Raphael can chime in on that part as well, because you guys have done a lot of the collision avoiding technology uh, research and investigation, right? Yeah, yeah we did. We uh, actually did a... Um a special, it's pretty much a special report on collision avoidance technology. But one thing that uh, I also wanted to, to add to what Ivan said is that it doesn't have to be technology in that classical sense. It could also be um, improvements to vehicle design. Like, yes, uh, as you mentioned, Ivan, you mentioned NCAP. Euro NCAP actually has requirements that vehicles be designed so that it takes into account, um, colli- I mean, uh, uh, Head injuries or and upper leg injuries and lower leg injuries. Uh, this and, is something um, that NHTSA our, does not have yet. Our, um, for our listeners that might not know, Euro NCAP stands for European uh, New Car Assessment Program. And we have our own NCAP here in the United States. I just wanted to slide that in oh, as you were thanks, talking Leah. about it. <laughs> and while, yeah, you're so sli- think- while you're sliding that in, I'm going to chime in real quick. You know, I think what Rafael is talking about is what we call passive Passive uh, vehicle design that protect the the vulnerable road user, particularly pedestrians. What I mentioned just a little bit earlier would be the active side of thing to actually prevent the vehicle to colliding with with the with the pedestrian. Just just so we all have the terminology. Sure. Yeah, and so th- there's several ways to keep pedestrians safe prior to a crash and actually even uh, during a crash. And so those are things that NHTSA um, is a little bit. Uh, behind the ball on right now. And uh, I know that they're doing some pilot studies right now uh, 
uh, to consider further improvements to uh, U.S. NCAP. Um, and hopefully they'll take all of this uh, uh, pedestrian safety issues that we've been talking about into account. And the Europe NCAP, just a, just a quick, uh, just a quick chance in the Euro NCAP, actually, I believe it's since, God, I should, I, should, I should, um, don't remember the dates now. It has been a while the Euro NCAP actually have a pedestrian safety avoidance technology as being part of the, part of the rating. And since 2019, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, you know, also start rating new vehicle based on the, based on the pedestrians uh, avoidant technology as well. So we know that technology is there. Um, in fact, you know, in order to, um, a, a lot of the American vehicle that were actually operating in Europe, they already have those technology. Mm. So it's not like this is something going to be, you know, really difficult for the U.S. to, to, to adopt, but it's really, again, you know, I think we are broken records, and um, we we would like uh, the the Litsa to kind of like join the party. <laughs> right. Since we're talking a little bit about technology, um, Raphael, last year uh, the NTSB held the board meeting to determine the probable cause of the Tempe, Arizona collision between an Uber automated test vehicle and a pedestrian. Um, would you tell us about the circumstances of that crash and then also kind of share a little about, um, you know, as the industry is moving closer towards the introduction of a fully autonomous vehicle, who knows when that will be, um, but what could that mean for pedestrian safety and what we found with the Tempe crash? Well, uh, the Tempe crash was very unique. Uh, the, the reason why we went out on that crash is because it was the first known fatal crash involving an autonomous test vehicle. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it on the face of it, it looks like this, this crash was sort of a simple case of a pedestrian in dark clothing, jaywalking um, uh, at night uh, across a high-speed roadway and the driver just not seeing the pedestrian until it was too late. But, um, however, you know, like, but actually, like most crashes, there were several things that transpired for this particular crash to occur. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, the crash occurred at night on Mill Avenue, which is a multi-lane uh, roadway. Um, it was equipped with headlights, but the speed limit was 45, so it was actually pretty high. Mm -hmm. um, the pedestrian had been walking her bike across, you know, mid-block uh, when she was struck. And the test vehicle luckily had uh, a lot of cameras, a lot of uh, cameras pointed uh, forward. And so we actually have video evidence that showed that the pedestrian really didn't react to the presence of the vehicle until right before the crash. And we found out later on... Um, that she did have methamphetamines in her system, which uh, may have contributed to her lack of awareness um, to the oncoming vehicle. So that was w one issue. Um, the other issue is that um, the test vehicle, it, it's a test vehicle, so that it wasn't like, a, you know, it didn't have everything working yet. They were still testing it out. Mm -hmm. And so they actually had an operator um, seated in the driver's seat, and it was her job to um, monitor the roadway and take control of the test vehicle if it did anything unsafe. But however, prior to the crash, uh, she had actually been watching a show on her phone instead of monitoring the roadway. Mm -hmm. And uh, the driver returned, you know, her gaze to the roadway about a second prior to the crash. And by that time, it was way too late to actually for her to avoid the pedestrian. Um, another issue in this crash was that... Um, the test vehicle um, had not actually been programmed to recognize jaywalkers. It was only programmed to recognize pedestrians if they were um, at intersections. Mm -hmm. And so this uh, this vehicle, since the pedestrian was walking mid-block, had uh, the vehicle had actually uh, identified it first as a car and then a bike and then back to a car again and finally as a bike. But as a bike, you would, you know, the, the car expected the the this object to stay within its lane, you know, it didn't expect it to be crossing the, the roadway. And so, um, it, it didn't recognize, you know, what was happening in the, until the collision was imminent. Mm -hmm. Um, the fourth issue is that the test vehicle was actually a Volvo that was factory equipped with a pedestrian detection system and a crash mitigation system. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so sounds great, right? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, um, the Volvo pedestrian, uh, pedestrian detection system, which was a radar, interfered with Uber's own autonomous vehicle system, which mm-hmm. forced Uber to disable it. Um, Uber has since uh, modified their their own uh, autonomous vehicle system so that it would actually work in concert with the Volvo uh, pedestrian detection and crash mitigation system. So that problem has been solved. Um, the final one I'm going to mention is that um, I think one of the issues also was that Arizona was very much uh, wanting to have um, uh, autonomous vehicle companies test in their state. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they wanted it so much that they imposed almost no safety re- related restrictions on the testing of these vehicles. And I think this ultimately had, uh, or contributed a little bit to the occurrence of this crash. So that's, that's a little bit of a summary of, um, of the, t- the Tempe pedestrian crash. There's a few more issues that I haven't uh, discussed yet for that, but, um, I encourage those who want to find out more about this crash to read the report that we've, we've published. Now, um, you'd mentioned also, you know, um, how this move towards um, automation and vehicles, uh, what what it could mean to pedestrian safety. Uh, uh, You know, obviously with uh, autonomous vehicles, these these systems don't fall asleep. They don't get distracted. Um, And and so I think it would actually, you know, help improve pedestrian safety. But we need to we need to take into account that this is the promise. This is not rea- This is not here yet. Mm-hmm, sure. So um, and and so keep that in mind. Another another uh, technology that we haven't talked about yet is connected vehicles mm-hmm. and um, connected vehicles, connected infrastructure. Um, these things actually have a, a a greater potential for reducing pedestrians because. Um, um, the infrastructure and the vehicles, um, the infrastructure can actually detect pedestrians at, at intersections or anywhere like that and, and could inform the, the vehicles that the pedestrians are there. And in fact, um, if, if, um, like cell phones or watches that the pedestrian is, is actually carrying is also equipped with a receiver and transmitter, it can itself, um, tell vehicles and an infrastructure that um, they are there at an intersection or, or even um, at a mid block, um, you know, getting ready to cross. So it, it would provide more, um, more warning to a driver who's approaching an intersection or a pedestrian who, who might be um, um, positioned mid block. So as I mentioned before, though, these technologies are all really promising, but they're still a few years away. And it would be a mistake to just like, rely on them, you know, mm-hmm. or, or rely on that promise. I mean, I think what's, what's really important is we need to, we need to, in the meantime, um, consider as Ivan and, um, as a member Chapman has been mentioning, you know, we need to also, um, design roadways safer. We need to design vehicles safer. Um, you know, during our investigation of those 15 investigations that we talked about, we, we notice such things as the absence of sidewalks where pedestrian mm-hmm. traffic can be expected, like at bus stops, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, there's, there's a lack of engineering solutions that, uh, separate s- pedestrians from speeding vehicles in, des- in densely traveled areas. And, you know, like one of the engineering issues, you know, we, we've actually done a few pedestrian related accidents, uh, prior to 2016. One of them was the Santa Monica crash that killed um, 10 pedestrians and injured like 63 others. In that case, the engineering solution was actually pretty simple. All they needed to do was put bollards up between the, um, the farmer's market and the intersections. And, and yet this is something that um, Santa Monica had, um, had sort of resisted doing, you know? So, you know, we need to look at other solutions like these simple solutions engineering solutions and we just can't rely on the promise of autonomous vehicles and connected vehicles well and sometimes it's as simple as paint um yeah you know mm-hmm. the, i'm i'm constantly amazed at the failure to install crosswalks at places where people will obviously be crossing or yeah. or where people do regularly cross relatively busy streets and uh, simply 
marking off and painting, you know, painting painting the uh, the crosswalk would would have such an impact because it helps drivers become more aware. Uh, sometimes it's that simple. Yeah, I think I think that's just go right into what uh, you know Stephanie was saying earlier about the whole idea of safe system approach to vision zero. You know, yes, you know we can we can we can look at the promise. You know, five ten years down the lines, autonomous vehicle. You know, get to a place that is really going to protect just about everybody. But at the same time, there are low cost solution that is already ready to go and we are not doing it and partly probably because what Leo was talking about earlier let's do a very local you know basically safety audits mm -hmm. of your environment and trying to figure out what are the trouble spots what are some of the tool, tool in your toolbox that you can easily implement it you know sometimes fortunately those things are not being done and I think that's so important as uh, Raphael was saying that you know there are things that can quickly be implemented that we don't have to just wait five, 10 years down the line when all these promises get fulfilled. And uh, the other thing that we haven't talked about much is the, is the education piece, right? You know, we talk about responsibility of the pedestrians. How do we educate the pedestrians to more properly evaluate your risk environments around you as you are either waiting at the intersection to cross or if you have absolutely no no other place that you do have to cross mid mid block, you know what are some of the educational you know campaign that could be done to to improve the awareness of that? How do we educate the driver, you know, of uh, be aware of uh, pedestrians? So there are two out there. Nitsa have a great, and I believe that Leah probably were working closely with the behavioral team, you know, when she was working at Nizza, you know, that there are lots of uh, 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 things that we can do in aspect. The enforcement, enforcement is also, quite frankly, is an educational tool. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you're stopping a person who are not properly, you know, partner a proper driver or a pedestrian, not necessarily that you want to give them a ticket, but I got gonna be a one-on-one -on -one opportunity to mm -hmm. in improve the awareness so those are the things that uh, is not fancy it's not sexy it's not big but mm -hmm. but they all adds up and I think that's really what uh, the whole safe system approach is all about well, every one of these pieces is going to the right place yes and the, there's a complacency that is set in and it's set in both in terms of how we drive but also how we behave as pedestrians. Mm -hmm. We see it on the road all the time. People don't use turn signals. People sort of disregard basic rules of the road. Um, that's problematic, certainly on the highway, but it's a much bigger problem when you are a pedestrian where the risks are so much greater because, mm -hmm. again, you're, you're going to lose. You're, you're going to lose that battle. But but, you know, failure to follow basic rules, uh, you know, crossing against the light, those sorts of things. Things that we all learned when we were children in school. Um, but I see adults uh, doing these things all the time. That complacency in terms of how we conduct ourselves on the highway, when we're walking, uh, that's something that uh, I think these sorts of things can help address. Awareness, education, enforcement to a degree. Um, things to help people think about this, think about the risks, and think about the fact that taking that extra couple of minutes or, or doing what's necessary to let the people around you know that you're changing a lane, whatever, these sorts of things can have a major impact on you and on, on other people's lives. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I'm, as you all are talking, I'm thinking it's Distracted Driving Awareness Month right now. It's mm -hmm. also Pedestrian Safety Month. Mm -hmm. um, we're about to have daylight savings time change. <laughs> we yeah. are um, approaching the months when typically, unfortunately, impaired driving is, um, you know, upon us in a, in a big issue. Um, so, member Chapman, you reminded us and Leah as well um, that um, 
you know, road safety is a shared responsibility of drivers and pedestrians. And so as we think of all of these things that we're approaching, I just want to ask, you know, drivers and pedestrians, what what safety reminders um, do you have have for them? Well, something to be very aware of this time of year uh, is, is visibility. Uh, as as the days grow shorter uh, and as we have people particularly going to and from work or, or, or school or wherever you're traveling, and I understand under the current circumstances, maybe that's a little more limited, but twilight hours especially, visibility is, is, is a real problem. And, uh, and actually, I, I think the majority of, of high, of pedestrian fatalities are after dark or in low light. And so be very aware of visibility issues. Do basic things, wear light clothing, those sorts of things. As a driver, be on your toes. Um, there are some technology um, improvements that I, I, people are working on that I think will help in these areas. I think uh, maybe Ivan alluded to it earlier. There's some fascinating work being done in terms of headlight te- technology, which will help a lot. But again, a lot of this is just awareness. Be aware of what's going on around you. Be aware of the risks. Be aware uh, that the risk goes up uh, after dark and during twilight hours. I would just chime in um, in terms of the impairment piece, since that's another safety issue area that I work a lot on. Um, you know, it's it's great when we see that people are making the choice not to uh, drive after drinking, but um, sometimes people then decide, well, if I'm not going to drive, then I'm going to walk after drinking. I'm going to walk home. But that has a huge risk as well. Um, you know, 30% of all fatal pedestrians um, are impaired um, at 0.08 or higher. And oftentimes they're in the really high BAC um, level. And so they're, you know, they're really impaired, even though impairment is impairment. Um, And so, you know, it's the same countermeasures and the same um, suggestions that I would give to someone if I was talking about um, drinking and driving, you know, call the Uber, um, have, you know, a friend in your phone that is available and sober to pick you up, um, arrange for a designated driver in advance of, you know, your, your outing for the evening or the daytime, whatever it is, and um, just don't don't rely on yourself as a as a reliable walker when you're impaired. Yeah, just talking about a reliable walker, and um, many of you know that I runs a lot mm-hmm. and I bikes a lot, and I think one of my you know philosophy is really be predictable. Uh-huh. Right. So that's why we have rules, uh, the rule of the road. Part of the reason is so that everybody know what everybody is supposed to be doing. So being predictable is very important. You know, as a pedestrian or a cyclist, being predictable so that the driver would be aware of you. Right. So don't do anything crazy. Unfortunately, if you're impaired, you probably are not going to be predictable. So uh-huh. that's a, that's a different story. Um, the other, the, the other thing that's, um, you know, is, 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 not speaking from an NTSB perspective, but sort of like an individual runner. And one of the things that drive me crazy is that if there is no sidewalk, if you have to run, you are still a pedestrian. You probably want to run against the traffic. Mm-hmm. And you probably don't want to run with a headset on. You probably definitely don't want to run when it's dark. So all those things drive me nuts so badly that uh, I have developed a, a, you know, personality amongst my friends of being quite deranged. When I see people, you know, (laughs) running with the traffic in dark clothes, in low visibility, you know, uh, situation and wearing a headset. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you are basically, unfortunately, uh, asking for trouble. Right. So those are the things that's very, very simple, common sense. If you run against traffic, it will take two person, the driver and you to get into to get into to, to a trouble instead of you don't even know what is coming behind you. So those are sort of like the individual thing that I think we should all take responsibility and just 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 be reasonable. Right. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, I have greatly reduced my risk by not running at all. I find that. that <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Raphael, did you have so anything? So for me, I, I think uh, my suggestion is to always assume that a driver has not noticed you. Mm. You know, when you're crossing a street, especially at night, um, you know, make sure that 
um, you get some sort of signal from that driver, either that he has noticed you, you know, you can see it in his eyes, or that he's rather he's slowed down or something like that, because you don't want to get into a, a situation where you're playing chicken with a car. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you're at a cross street, when you know you have the right of way, check for, check for the movements of the cars before crossing the street. Because as we've been talking about, you are the vulnerable road user. You know, if, if somebody makes a mistake, you're going to be the one that pays for it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my um, bit of common sense. Great. So uh, we are getting to the end of our podcast. And I don't know about you all, but I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, I think that we could all talk for hours and hours about this topic. um, Because again, there are so many facets of, um, of pedestrian safety. But before we wrap up, I just want to offer an opportunity for our guests to have any closing thoughts, even though we kind of just did that, but just (laughs) any last, um, any last uh, pieces of information or um, thoughts before we close out. Uh, Member Chapman? Well, I would just stress to both drivers and pedestrians, be aware of your surroundings and the risks. Don't underestimate those risks. Be on guard against distraction and impairment uh, and uh, watch out for speed. Thank you. Ivan? My my main thing is that it has to be a comprehensive approach. If you are a pedestrian, whether you are a driver, you're a planner, you're an engineer, you're a vehicle designer, you are a lawmaker, everybody needs to think about that vulnerable situation for pedestrians and everybody can contribute to the improvements of safety for vulnerable road users. Thanks, Ivan. And Raf? I think... Uh- both uh, Member Chapman and Ivan have pretty much said it all. Um, what what I did, I mean, as a as a pedestrian, is I made sure that I had retro reflective gear, whether it's bands or a vest. Um, and I think that's always very useful, especially as you mentioned, Stephanie, that it's it's going to be daylight savings time uh, very soon, and and this is a really good time to um, keep all of that in mind. Maybe you could even wear Christmas lights on your, on your clothing. (laughs) Start Christmas a little early. (laughs) Thanks, Ralph. Stephanie, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I will say, uh, ditto to what has already been said, but, um, I think just, you know, a reminder, we've talked about a lot of things, um, impairment, distraction, um, and speeding, which are all behaviors that we all have total control over and that um, we've been talking about pedestrian fatalities and unfortunately most of them are are preventable. So um, again, just whether you're the pedestrian and especially if you're the driver, just making sure that you're sober, attentive, well rested um, before you get on the roads. Thanks, Steph. And I'll just uh, reiterate that, you know, it is pedestrian safety month, um, but, you know, Beyond that, you can be safe as a pedestrian and you can be safe as a driver any day in any month of the year. Um, and so I hope everyone kind of takes that with them as they as they um, as we close out the podcast. Uh, I want to, again, thank our guests um, for joining us. It's been a great conversation. And just um, for our listeners to remember that uh, at some point in your day, you are a pedestrian. And so take that into consideration as you go about your daily lives. Um, treat pedestrians while you're a driver. Treat pedestrians with respect. While you're a pedestrian, treat drivers with respect. Be aware of each other. Look out for each other and be safe. Um, I just want to, again, thank James, our producer for making us sound great and uh and thank again our guests and thank you stephanie my co-host and uh thanks to our listeners for joining us today we will talk to you next time joining us on Behind the Scene at NTSB. Subscribe to and like us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And don't forget, you can always find us at ntsb.gov. Thank you and bye. Bye.